20 years ago, Gavin DeGraw topped the Billboard charts with his breakout song, I Don't Wanna Be, singing lines such as, I'm surrounded by identity crisis everywhere I turn. What was it about that song that so many were able to connect with, and does it have anything to do with Genesis chapter 2? We'll also look at 7,000-year-old burial practices and why there's nothing you don't have in common with Adam and Eve. Let's get started. Welcome to Instoried. I'm Corey Smith. While we have asked the question, who am I, recently on this show, we have not yet asked the question, what am I? The two are very related, and I think knowing how to answer the what only helps us better answer the who. So, to be clear, I think the who question includes talking about who we are at the individual level, but the what question deals with who we are at the big picture level, the whole human race. And so the answer there must be the very same for all of us. It might be better stated as what kind of being am I? This is really what we're after when we explore these ancient origin stories as a means of learning who we are. We are answering the who question by first determining what kind of being we are. A big part of this answer comes in Genesis 1 when we see that we are made in the image of God. That was a very important starting point for us. Now we delve a little deeper as the story of Adam and Eve opens up more fully in Genesis 2. Before we begin, though, I want to reiterate something I said a couple of weeks ago, and that's this. There is no part of the Bible that is simply history for history's sake. Arnold Toynbee, who was an English historian, argued against seeing history this way when he critiqued another historian for calling history, quote, just one thing after another. Actually, there is a more colorful word in that quote I left out so I can keep my clean rating. But he's arguing against the sum of history being a chronologically ordered set of events that we read and then be content to just let them rest on the page as a set of facts. British writer Max Plowman called this worshiping of facts, and he warned against letting truth simply become, quote, an endless succession of stepping stones that have a way of disappearing into the bog as soon as they are stepped over, end quote. In reading Genesis, we are touching the beginning of some important threads that weave their way throughout the entire Bible. And the amazing tapestry that is eventually created as we read further and get the entire picture is the story of God and humanity. So when we read, remember that it is not simply history for history's sake. We're not reading just to increase our knowledge. It's not just for your information. It is for your formation. It's meant to be formative. We see what we are, who we are meant to be, so we can align ourselves with that. Because when we don't, we start to notice what Gavin DeGraw is observing when he sings, I'm surrounded by identity crisis. In an interview, he explains that the song was, quote, heavily influenced by the identity crisis right now that exists amongst youth. It's almost like you can go into any town in the country and the kids don't necessarily have an identity of their own. It's like whatever is on television is who they are, end quote. 
That's a pretty keen observation that he makes. It's like whatever is on television is who they are. You know, there's a part of our personalities that I'd say are just fixed. Your parents can probably identify pieces of who you are today that were there before you even learned how to talk. But then there's the part of us that isn't nature, but nurture. And it's shaped in part by our intake. The ways that we are cared for in our earliest relationships with parents and other family, but also the stories we latch onto. And it's true not just for children, but adults too. I recently read the story of a man named Sundar Singh, a Christian missionary from India who was born into a traditional Indian household and brought up with traditional Indian religion. But in his late teens, he became a Christian and carried his worn-out New Testament with him everywhere he went, read it cover to cover, who knows how many times, could quote large portions of it. And when you read the story of his life, it looks like Jesus. He was shaped by his intake, and his intake was the regular reading of that story. All right, so let's talk about Adam and Eve. One thing to keep in mind with their story is this. Everything you read about them here in Genesis 2 and 3 is meant to be 100% relatable to you and me. If it's true about them, then it's true about us. Now, this is different from other persons in the Bible like Moses or Ruth or David. You can read parts of their stories and fully relate to some parts of who they are, but other parts of their character you might not identify with much at all. You might not have the intensity of Moses to strike down an Egyptian taskmaster for, for beating your fellow Israelite. That might be Moses, but that certainly isn't you. Or you might not have the faithful resolve of a Ruth who stays with her mother-in-law despite the worst possible circumstances happening with, with her husband. Adam and Eve are different. Their story is meant to be universal. They are both what we are and who we are. Let's see how this plays out. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. All right, so the man then is made up of two components, dust from the ground and the breath of God that God gives him to breathe with. God giving us breath means two things. One, there's a part of every human that is divine, and two, our breath, which is our life, is contingent upon God. And when that breath is gone, we die. But the man is also formed from the dust of the ground. And the words here in the Hebrew make this a very strong connection. Man in Hebrew is Adam. A-D-A-M. It's Adam. What will come to be his proper name is also what he is. Adam is a man, and man is Adam. The Hebrew word for ground is Adamah. God formed the Adam out of dust from the Adamah. It's a wordplay that makes the connection with the human to the ground. Our identity is connected to the dust of the ground. The line dust to dust that is so often used at burial services is based on a line from the book of Ecclesiastes, which says, all go to one place. 
all are from the dust, and to dust all return. And elsewhere in that same book, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. That word spirit in the Hebrew is ruach, and is often translated as breath in other places. When a human dies, the dust goes back to where it came from, and so does the breath. It's like our breath is on loan from God. That's the situation of every living creature. And if God decided to just take all of that breath back at any given moment, every creature on earth would just drop. God's own life, His divine essence, is sustaining all of us every moment of every day. And that's, and that's humbling. It's also very easy to forget. But if we can remember a few times a day when we become aware of our own breathing, every breath is also an opportunity to be grateful, to be alive. And it's not a gratitude that we just send out into a big empty universe, but to a personal God who gives breath to you personally. Now, it may seem like human beings formed from dust doesn't feel accurate, or at least not relatable. I mean, maybe as a one-off, Adam being formed from dust to get this whole human race thing kicked off, but past that, every generation comes from organic matter, right? At the most fundamental level, we all start off as a combination of our parents' DNA, and that's organic matter. That's not dust. Formed from dust, that might have been true of Adam, but I don't see how that could apply to me. But remember, the Bible is an ancient document. The original audience it was written to would have seen things and understood things in ways that were consistent with their experiences, their observations of the world as they knew it, and the level of understanding they had at that point in time about the way it all worked. In ancient Israel, the burial process consisted of two stages. Now, this wasn't new at the time, by the way. This kind of burial goes back to at least around 5000 BC. But the first stage of burial would be to put someone in a tomb or cave and place their body on a slab or a carved niche in a cavern wall. Once the flesh was fully decayed and only the bones remained, they would go back and collect the bones and put them in an ossuary or a bone box. It would be like a small coffin just big enough to contain all of the bones of a human body. And then that box might be placed in a separate space within the tomb or elsewhere entirely. But what would be left on the burial slab is the mortified, dehydrated remains of the decayed flesh broken down by natural processes into a form that you could very accurately describe as just dust. In modern burial, the last time you see your deceased loved ones before the casket is closed and they are lowered into the ground, there is a lot of effort that goes into trying to present them as looking as much as possible as they did while they were still living so that when you see them in the open casket, they look as if they're just sleeping peacefully. And that is your final memory of them. Ancient burial practices were very different. And if you were involved in this two-stage burial process of your loved ones, you would eventually see them become dust. 
But more than just the physical impression that this leaves, there is a deeper truth connected to this. It's something the book of Ecclesiastes really dials into, and while reading it sometimes feels like such a downer, and that is the stark reminder of our own mortality. So much more than a description of our physical makeup, our being dust speaks to our physical frailty and how vulnerable we are to death. And to be vulnerable to death is to be mortal. There is something that the concept of human beings being created from dust that makes apparent that we might not clue into otherwise. Humans were created mortal. Adam is mortal from the very beginning. Physically frail, vulnerable to death. Now this seems hard to square with other parts of the story that we've yet to get into, but also with the way we tend to think about mortality. When we use the phrase mortality rate, what do we mean? It's a measure of death. We think of mortality and death going hand in hand because that's our experience being mortal. Death happens to all of us eventually, and that's true 100% of the time. But Adam is not created immortal. It might seem that way when many of us have heard Genesis chapter 3 so often referred to as the fall. It sounds like he was immortal, become mortal by the decision they made. But he was always dust. The reason he doesn't return to dust beforehand is because he is relying on God to sustain his life. Because there are two named trees in the garden. One is the famous tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. And the other is the tree of life. God says not to eat fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but he doesn't say not to eat the fruit from the tree of life. In fact, you better eat the fruit of the tree of life, Adam, because you're dust, man, and you'd be nothing but dust in a hurry without God sustaining you. The tree of life and the human's access to that tree is what keeps the dangers of being mortal at bay. If Adam and Eve had chosen to trust God in Genesis chapter 3, and continued to trust God and remain with Him, they would have lived forever as mortals. Although that seems like a contradiction in terms to us, their vulnerability to death is not removed. They are still dust. But that vulnerability is shored up by the life-giving presence of God always being right there. And vulnerability here is not necessarily a bad thing because that's what provides the opportunity to trust God and be dependent upon Him. And that's the kind of creature we are. That's a critical part of our identity. We're not self-made, self-sufficient, or self-sustaining, but fully dependent upon another who is greater than ourselves. Is it any wonder, then, that Jesus' most common way of referring to God is Father? He's the parent we never outgrow the need for, and we're the headstrong children who keep trying to figure out our lives without him. There's a nearly 200-year-old church hymn called, O Worship the King, All Glorious Above, that has a verse that says, Frail children of dust, and feeble as frail, in you do we trust, nor find you to fail. I think what's implied here, and I think it's spot on, is that our being dust not only conveys our physical frailty, but also our spiritual frailty. Our vulnerability to death 
runs right alongside our vulnerability to sin. So death and sin end up being parallel problems. The Apostle Paul likes to write about this. I know we're getting ahead of ourselves here a bit in terms of where we are in the story of Genesis, but I can't miss the opportunity to get a broader picture of what it means for Adam and for all of us to be formed from dust and the inescapable dependency on God that it creates for us. It's a dependency we spend a lot of energy trying to ignore, and when we do, we create a lot of problems for ourselves because it's a fundamental denial of our identity. It puts us in an identity crisis. And then Gavin DeGraw ends up writing songs about us. Do you see the trouble this causes? So to wrap up for the week, and since I brought up Gavin DeGraw again, let's take another look at a line from his song, I Don't Want to Be. It goes like this. I came from the mountain, the crust of creation, my whole situation made from clay to stone, and now I'm telling everybody. Okay, now he doesn't interpret this line for us in the interview he gave that I referenced earlier, but I'm going to take a stab at it. But if I ever bump into him, I'll ask him if I got it right, and then I'll let you know. So the first part, I came from the mountain. As bad as I want to make this into something about having God's divine nature imparted to him in the way Adam did with receiving the breath of God or Moses having met God at the mountaintop because mountaintop experiences are often linked with meeting God in the Bible. It turns out that DeGraw grew up in the Catskill Mountains in New York. So I'd better just go with that. Next part, the crust of creation. Maybe here he's transitioning into referring to himself as created by God in the same way as Adam. His whole situation was made from clay to stone. The soft, fragile nature of the ground that Adam was formed from. Maybe DeGraw is saying that he has moved from that state to being stone, something that's firm, unbreakable, imperishable. You know, that wouldn't be entirely unlike what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church when he said, This perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. If I'm hearing Paul right then, although we are created mortal, immortality is available to us. Because if Jesus died but didn't stay dead... If he was somehow more than dust, then Paul says, I will be too. And I'm counting on it because I know that without him, dust is what I am and dust is where I'm headed. But Jesus has the power that I don't have, which is the ability to turn my whole situation from clay to stone. And that's really good news. So like Gavin DeGraw, now I'm telling everybody. So how did I do, Gavin? Am I even close? He's shaking his head if he's listening. But he's definitely not listening. Next week, we keep forging ahead in the Adam and Eve story of Genesis chapter 2. We'll see what Eve's half of the story is. 
literally. We hope you're enjoying and storied. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a review so others can find us. We'll see you next week.